Take your Bibles, turn with me to the book of James, chapter 1. We'll be reading together just one verse, chapter 1, verse 12. This is God's Word, James 1, verse 12. James writes, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Amen. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. It was July 4th, 1952. A 33-year-old young lady named Florence Chadwick got in the Pacific Ocean off the coast of Catalina Island, which itself was off the coast of California, about 26 miles. And she got in the water in order to swim from Catalina Island to California. Uh, In 1951, she had already become the first woman to swim the English Channel both ways. Okay, so she was used to swimming long distances. But that Independence Day was very cold. It was uh, very foggy. Uh, She had been in the water for about 15 hours. She was growing weary and exhausted. Uh, Her team uh, and trainers and her mom were there with her in the boat next to her. Uh, and uh, she was more and more just exhausted, ready to, to quit. They were you know, cheering her on, no, you can do it, you can do it, you're almost there. Uh, but finally, uh, she couldn't go any further. And so they pulled her up in the boat, and they soon realized that she was less than one mile to the shore, to California. Uh, as they interviewed her after that, uh, she uh, said, all I could see was the fog I think if I could have seen the shore, I would have made it. If I would have seen the shore, I would have made it. As we walk through the various trials of life that James has already mentioned to us in chapter 1, verses 2 to 4, it's very easy to only see the fog, isn't it? It's very easy to only see the suffering, the pain, the discomfort, the uh, disruption of our lives. We can feel like we are zoomed in on the trial, like horses in New Orleans. We've got blinders on and all we see are the trials. All we see is the pain. But what we need by the grace of God is to zoom out, to see the bigger picture, to see the shore, to see what's awaiting us at the end of the struggle. And that's exactly what James chapter 1 verse 12 does for us. This verse is a a transition, capping off the the first 12 verses and then introducing the following verses, the next section. We've already seen the the blessing of trials in in verses 2 to 4, how trials produce steadfastness and ultimately lead to our sanctification. But now James is going to emphasize the, the future blessing that awaits us on the other side of our steadfastness in the midst of suffering. James takes the blinders off, right? And he pulls us back to see the goal, to see the hope of glory, to see the shore, right? So that we can dive back into the waters of affliction with a renewed determination, right? To endure and to love God with all of our heart, soul, strength, and mind. As we approach this passage, this verse, I want us to ask two questions of the text. First, what is the blessing that awaits us? And secondly, who is blessed with this blessing? First, what is the blessing that awaits us? James tells us here 
that those who hold their ground when waves of trial and affliction slam into us over and over and over again are blessed now because they will receive the promised crown of life on the last day. That is the blessing that awaits us, the crown of life. Now this crown imagery that that James uses was a a common part of the Greco-Roman world in which he and early Christians lived. It was really a, a circlet, a wreath made of foliage. Greek cities would would give these wreaths as a symbol of glory and honor uh, to their citizens who had accomplished great achievements and they wanted to recognize them and reward them and and, and, and put on them this status and and this honor and glory. They were also given uh, to the victors of the Olympic Games, right? The Olympic Games that began in the 8th century uh, BC that had a revival under Caesar Augustus who was ruling Rome when Jesus was born. Uh, Herod the Great uh, who uh, was over Jerusalem and, and, and Israel uh, during uh, the, the early days of Jesus, he had revived and brought these games even to Jerusalem. So, so when James here is writing uh, to these early Christians, right, they would have understood that imagery uh, of winning the, the victor's crown, right, winning this, this wreath. It would have been familiar to them. In fact, we, we see multiple instances of these imagery of crowns in the New Testament, don't we? Paul Uh, uses this imagery in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24. He says, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games, he says, exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Therefore I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air. Paul here It's not saying that Christians are in competition with one another for the the one prize, as it was in the Olympic Games. But but no, he's calling us to the same exertion as those who are in a race where there's only one winner. The same exertion, all of us calling to to, to fight with aim, to to run with aim, to box with purpose, to exercise self-control in all things, so that we might gain this imperishable crown. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8, Paul looks at death with confidence. And the confidence is this, that in the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, he says, but to all who have loved his appearing. 1 Peter 5, verse 4, Peter tells the, the elders of the church that when the chief shepherd appears, they will receive the unfading crown of glory. In Revelation 2, verse 10, Jesus uses the same image that James does here as he tells the church in Smyrna, do not fear what you are about to suffer. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. So you hear the imagery throughout the the New Testament, an imperishable crown of life, a crown of glory, a crown of righteousness follows the contest of faith. The crown of, when Paul uses, James uses that language, he, he means the, the crown that is, right? The, the prize consisting in life, glory, righteousness. This is what awaits us as the people of God when Jesus returns. An eternal and imperishable and unfading life. Unfading glory, imperishable righteousness. And because this is the blessing that awaits us in the future, We are at this very moment, even before we receive that blessing, even as we walk through various trials, we are blessed. We are a blessed people. We are a happy people in the deepest sense of that word, not as a fleeting pleasure, but as a settled 
and lasting joy, even in the midst of grief and sorrow. You see, James is saying that our future inheritance is sure because God has promised it and God never breaks his promises. But because we have this confident assurance of the blessing that will be ours one day soon, we can rejoice even now in the midst of trials. We can set our hearts to persevere through those trials with an eye on the prize that is is set before us. So that's the blessing that awaits us, a crown of life, a crown of glory, a crown of righteousness, right? Because that blessing is to come, we are blessed even now. But who, secondly, who is blessed with this blessing? There's much here that Paul, that James says about this blessing and who is blessed with it. He answers this question in three overlapping ways. And all three of these ways that James answers gives us helpful perspective on, on even how God calls us to respond and to live when we encounter various trials. Look at what James says. First, he says that the crown of life is for the person who remains steadfast under trial. Steadfast. Right? It's the person who perseveres, who endures, who patiently and courageously stands their ground, who holds out and, and bears up, who outlasts, who doesn't give up, who doesn't throw in the towel in the face of sorrow or disappointment or, or tragedy. This is the one who receives the crown of life, who remains steadfast under trial. James, if you were speaking today, would say, we, we believe in the pea of tulip. Right? The, 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 the perseverance of the saints. Sometimes we, we speak of that as the preservation of the saints. And that's a, an appropriate way to, to speak that truth, that, that God has an elect people that he preserves to the end. Right? He has begun a good work in us. He will bring it to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. We have that assurance. But we more often speak of the P of Tulip, the five points of Calvinism, as the perseverance of the saints. Right? All the elect will persevere, will endure to the end because it's only those who endure to the end who will be saved, says Jesus. And so here, James is calling us to remain steadfast under trial. He's holding forth the crown of life as the hope, the reward that will come on the other side of that remaining steadfast. He's calling us to persevere in faith and hope and love. But it's interesting, isn't it? Back in chapter one, verse two, uh, James said that trials produce steadfastness as their result. But here he says that steadfastness is, is something we must practice while we're going through trials. And you're like, well, which one is it, James? Is it something that, that comes as a result of trial? Or is it something that we, that we demonstrate and, and live out in the midst of trial? Well, of course, the answer is yes, right? It's both. And if you ever have been an athlete, if you ever have, have had any sort of uh, sport in which you, you, you needed a high-level endurance you needed to be in shape, right? You know that the only way that that happens is through enduring in practice and in games, right? That the bodily stress and, and the, uh, the, the, the hard running and laps and, and, and down and backs and, and suicides and, you know, running all the, the things that you have to do, right? in practice to get ready to build up the endurance that you need for the game. And if you've ever been in that situation where it's like the fourth quarter and you've been going hard all game, but you're not even tired and the other team is like, you know, huffing and puffing and you know it's because you endured 
all those sprints during practice that your coach has gotten you in shape so that now it's the end of the game and, and you have this steadfastness, you have this endurance even in the midst of it. And that's what's going on here, I think. James is saying, look, yes, it's, it's through trials that we endure, that we learn endurance, that we grow in endurance. But in the midst of those trials, we're also called to endure, to persevere. Right? Trials produce endurance. They produce this settled character of steadfastness only as we practice steadfastness now in the midst of the trial, in the heat of the moment. And this promised crown of life is held out to us at every moment to motivate us, to endure, to persevere, to remain steadfast as the goal to which we are striving. So this is the first way that, that James answers this question of, of who is blessed with this blessing, the one who remains steadfast under trial. But, but secondly, he, he says that the crown of life is for those who stand the test, right? who have stood the test, literally who have become approved. And this verb is related to the noun back in verse 3, that noun testing. Right? The, the approved man or woman is the one who has come through the ringer, as it were. Right, who has gone through the furnace, who is now tried and true, who is the genuine article, the real deal. I noticed that this verse is a segue into the next section. That's because this word that's translated trial here can also, depending on the context, be translated temptation. James is going to speak explicitly in the next few verses about temptation. But most commentators agree that here in verse 12, he has a broader understanding of this word. That's why it's often translated trial. Um, but, but James is, is telling us with this language of standing the test, what we've already seen in his letter, right? That trials are tests of our faith. In every trial, there is a temptation to respond wrongly, right? There is a test. Dean last week discussed poverty and riches, Right? This, both of them are trials of our faith in different ways. You remember what Agur said in Proverbs 30, verses 8 and 9. He said, give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of our God. Agur is saying, look, just give me this day my daily bread. Right, because I, I know that, that if I'm poor, I'm going to be tempted to doubt the provision of God and steal out of lack. If I'm rich, I'm going to be tempted to desert God, to deny that I even need God out of self-sufficiency and, and fullness. Right? And so we understand that, that riches and poverty both come as severe trials. Right? There's temptation, there's testing in the midst of the suffering. And here's the thing we have to realize when we see this language of, of the crown of life coming to those who have stood the test. We have to make sure that we remember that there are going to be times when we don't stand the test, when we fail the test, when we're toppled over by afflictions. Like Peter around the campfire, we, we respond poorly in trials. But as James is going to say later in his letter, in chapter 4, verse 6, God gives a greater grace. For he gives grace to the humble, to the one who knows he's a sinner, who acknowledges his need. Our God is a God who gives makeup tests. Isn't that a great word to hear? Right? The crown of life is not for the perfect person, for the one who gets 100 A plus on the test. No, it's the one who passes. It's the one who endures. Right? It's the one who knows he's not perfect, 
who confesses his sin and renews his faith in the good news of the blood and the righteousness of Jesus Christ. It's the one who, as Paul says, forget what lies behind and reaches forward to what lies ahead. The one who fails forward, who is like a baby learning how to walk, who who gets a few steps and then stumbles into the arms of his father. That's the, the passing of the test, the standing of the test that that we're called to here. Each trial, whether we succeed or whether we fail, is a furnace that removes that dross and retains and leaves the pure gold. And it's through suffering that we are tested and we come out on the other side, right? Through our suffering, through our failures, through our successes, we come out on the other side approved. Well, lastly, James says to us that, that God has promised the crown of life to those who love him. So do you see the three things? To those who remain steadfast under trial, to those who have stood the test, and and finally, to those who love him. And I love this description. I love the inclusion of this phrase here in this verse for several reasons. First, because it reminds us that that standing steadfast, standing the test, is ultimately about loving God. Endurance does not come from sheer willpower. But it comes from our relationship with the Lord. We love him, says John, because he first loved us. And so the crown of life comes to the one who loves God. Do you love God? Secondly, I love this phrase because it, it reminds us that in trials we are so often tempted not to love God, but to hate him. Or if that's a strong word, at least to be frustrated with him, right? To, to be exasperated with God, to be disappointed with God, to be bitter toward God. Trials reveal to us so often that our love for God is oftentimes a love for the good and the comfortable things that God gives us, right? Do we really love him? Or are we just serving him because of what he's given to us? Trials remove those things from us and and sort of press upon us, do you love me? Do you love me? Isn't that the question that Jesus asked Peter after he denied him three times? And yet God continues, even in our failure, to call us to love him with all of our heart, even when his will is for us to suffer. In his commentary on James, Dan Doriani writes this poignant and powerful paragraph. He says this, every pastor has heard the older Christian who is widowed, retired, alone, who wonders, why am I still here? What does the Lord yet have for me? And Dorani writes, the answer is, he may have nothing for you to do, but to love him for another year. And then he quotes from Bernard of Clairvaux, who lived in the 1100s, one of John Calvin's favorite authors. And Bernard writes this, our progress to the crown is expedited not by our powers of endurance, but by the depth of our love for him. We're called to love the Lord our God, even in the midst of suffering. But the last reason I love this inclusion of this phrase on James's part is that it reminds us that being motivated by the reward of the crown of life must never become a mercenary desire, right? Where we desire the reward more than we desire the giver of that reward, God himself. We we want the gift and not the Lord. It's not an unimportant detail in the book of Revelation chapter four, when it speaks of the the 24 elders around the throne, we read that they throw their crowns 
at the feet of the throne of God. They take the gift, the, the reward that they've received, and they, they throw it at the Lord's feet, and they say, worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things. By your will, they existed and were created. You see what they're saying there? We've received this reward, but all glory is yours, right? We want to love you above all things. Our desire is not a trophy. It's the glory, it's the love of God who made us, who redeemed us through his son. So here's what James is doing in this passage. He is calling us to remain steadfast under trial, to stand the test, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And he's holding out the blessed hope of the crown of life as a motivation to do these things, even as you suffer all sorts of trials. And so the question that this passage puts upon our hearts is this, do you often think on your inheritance that is to come? Right? Do you often think on the crown of life as a motivation in the midst of suffering? Do you often think of, of what, what eternity awaits for you as the, the way that, that you are enabled to endure? Listen to some of these passages in the New Testament that that sound this theme over and over and over again. And, and I realize I, I, I wrote these down from the New American Standard, so don't look it up in your ESV because you'll be like, what's he talking about? But listen to 1 Peter 1, verses 3 to 9. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now listen, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So you hear the future tense of all this. But then he says, in this salvation, you greatly rejoice now, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials. So with the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, Peter says, you love him. And though you don't see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. See, Peter is, is saying we, we meditate upon the inheritance that is to come, the salvation that is to come, even as we suffer now various trials. Or listen to Paul in, in Romans 8. He says, I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Right? He says, in hope we are saved. Hope that is seen is not hope. Who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Again, Paul is casting our, our mind's eye to the shore that lies ahead. Or last, take 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 16 and 18. He says, therefore, we don't lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory, far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen with our eyes, but the things which are not seen, the things which are seen are temporal. The things which are not seen are eternal. We're going to come to it soon in our study of Elisha's life. One of my favorite stories of uh, the Elisha narrative is in chapter six, when the Syrians are uh, wanting to capture Elisha. 
right? Because he's uh, telling, you know, the king of Israel where the king of Syria is going to have his armies and, and allowing him to escape. And, and so the king of Syria sends his army to Elisha's house. And Elisha's servant wakes up one morning and he's, you know, I'm sure he's like rubbing his eyes and he's going out to get water or whatever it is. And all of a sudden he sees this army, chariots, horses circling the house, right? And he goes back in, he's filled with anxiety, he's filled with fear. And Elisha says, don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And the servant's like, what are you talking about? Like, it's just you and me, right? And it's a whole army. And then Elisha prays this prayer. He says, O Lord, open his eyes that he may see. And the text says, the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he saw, and behold, the mountains were full of horses and chariot of fires all around. Horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. He saw. There was this unseen reality that the Lord opened his eyes to see. And that's what James is doing for us here in this passage. He's giving us this distant reality, a crown of life that is to come, right? That we might see this unseen thing so that in the midst of our suffering, as we fix our eyes upon the glorious promise of God held out to us in his word, we might have grace to endure, grace to remain steadfast, grace to stand the test, grace to love the Lord our God, even when it feels like he doesn't love us. But of course, we know he does. And so he calls us to love him. It was September 1952, right? a few months after failing to swim to California, that Florence Chadwick got in the water once more. And this time, though the day was just as cold and foggy as it had been on July 4th, she kept a mental image of the shoreline in her mind as she swam. She saw the shore, as it were, and she was able to make it all the way to California. May the Lord give us grace to see the shore that's set forth for us here in James 1 verse 12, to keep that crown of life fixed in our mind as we suffer, knowing that God is at work through these trials to bring himself glory, and to enable us more and more to be the people that he has called us to be, a steadfast, enduring, persevering people, approved by his grace, who love him because he first loved us. Let's pray together. Lord, our God, we thank you for the unseen realities. Lord, we need to see these with the eye of faith. Would you give us grace, Lord, even to memorize this verse, to keep it hidden in our heart, so that we might not sin against you, so that we might endure. Lord, when all around our soul gives way, we know that you, your word, your promise is all of our hope, all of our stay. Lord, we ask that you would give us grace. Lord, that we might see the shore ahead, that we might know, that, Lord, that there is a glory that you have graciously granted to us, that one day, Lord, as we suffer, as we walk through these afflictions that you've ordained for us, Lord, may we know with the Apostle Paul that the sufferings of this present age are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. Lord, help us to walk in faith and hope and in love for you. Thank you, Lord, that you've loved us with an everlasting love. You will never let us go. Nothing can separate us from your love in Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you that all of our trials are being used by you to make us more like him. It's in his name we pray. Amen.